the hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out into the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter unto you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and I will bring upon flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and I was, as I prophesied there was a noise, and behold a shaking, and the bones came together bone to his bone. And when I held, beheld, lo, the sinews and the fret flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above, and there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came unto them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are a whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried, our hope is lost, we are cut off from our parts. Therefore prophesy and, I, and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come out of your graves and bring unto you the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves. And I shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place in your own land. Then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. Our second reading is found in the New Testament. It is John chapter 3. I am reading from today's English version. There was a man named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews who belonged to the party of the Pharisees. One night he came to Jesus and said to him, We know, Rabbi, that you are a teacher sent by God. No one could do the mighty works you are doing unless God were with him. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a grown man be born again? Nicodemus asked. He certainly cannot enter his mother's womb and be born a second time. I tell you the truth, replied Jesus, that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, and spirit gives birth to spirit. Do not be surprised because I tell you, you must all be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes. You hear the sound it makes, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. It is the same with everyone who is born of the spirit. How can this be? asked Nicodemus. 
Jesus answered, You're a great teacher of Israel, and you don't know this. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and tell what we have seen, and yet none of you is willing to accept our message. You do not believe me when I tell you about the things of this world. How will you ever believe me then when I tell you about things of heaven? And no one has ever gone up to heaven except the Son of Man who came down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the desert, in the same way the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world so much that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not die but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to be its judge, but to be its Savior. Whoever believes in the Son is not judged. Whoever does not believe has already been judged because he has not believed in God's only Son. This is how the judgment works. The light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because they do evil things. And anyone who does evil hates the light and will not come to the light because he does not want his evil deeds to be shown up. But whoever does what is true comes to the light in order that the light may show that he did his works in obedience to God. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. Last week we were studying about a remarkable person named Gideon and how God took this cowering person and clothed him with his Holy Spirit and enabled him to become a great and mighty deliverer for his people in an era of chaos in Bedlam. This week we come to a remarkable character in the New Testament, and we read about an interview that takes place between this man and Jesus. Last week after I had preached and had talked about how Gideon had taken his 300 and had taken the pitchers and, and put them over a torch or a lamp, and how that this earthen vessel was smashed, and then this sudden glow came, and how this had its tremendous effect upon the Midianites. Some young person here came up after the service and said, you know, that's the way it is with us in the Spirit of God. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. This is a words of St. Paul in the New Testament. And if we are willing to humbly submit ourselves and allow it to be broken, this earthen vessel, then our light can shine for Jesus Christ too. Now, in the opening chapters of the Gospel according to John, we read those tremendously heavy statements of John that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And by word, he means all that God is became man and moved among us. And with him there was great grace and truth. There was a man who was the forerunner for him whose name was John the Baptizer, who came preaching and teaching and demanding repentance and promising that one would come after him who would anoint his followers with the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus begins to call out his own. There come Andrew and Philip. 
Then come Peter and James and John. He calls Nathaniel. Then he goes to Cana in Galilee and his first miracle is performed when water is changed to wine. And we learn that Jesus can take something that is common and, and tasteless and put into it that which is vibrant and powerful. And then we see Jesus as he goes to the temple and does something which we almost want to disassociate with Jesus. Jesus came to the established Jewish church of his day. He saw the corruption that had infiltrated it. He walked to the temple and he heard the lowing of oxen. He saw calves that were in pens. He saw cages in which doves and pigeons were. He saw money changers in their tables. You had foreign currency and when you came to Jerusalem to worship God, you had to exchange your money into the Hebrew currency. And so there was always a profit taking that went on with this and its attendant evils that had surrounded the temple. And gentle Jesus is not so meek and mild here, but he enters into the church and he flings over the money changers' tables. And he took a scourge, a whip that he had platted out of cords, and he drove them out of the temple. Whenever I think of Jesus as being a carpenter, he must have had powerful muscles. He must have worked long and hard. And when he went into the temple that day, he created quite a fuss. He turned over those tables. He ran those people literally out of the temple. He said, you've made my father's house a den of thieves. And he wanted it corrected. Well, you can imagine what the establishment does after this. They get together and they want to think some more about this teacher that John the Baptist had been talking about and that people have been going out to hear. What about him? What about him? Well, there is one man who is intrigued. His name is Nicodemus. He is a member of the Sanhedrin, the supreme court of his land. The 70, the elders, the people who were theologians, knowledgeable in the scriptures, deep in their piety, faithful in their responsibilities to the established church. Nicodemus, maybe he had been in that deputation that had gone out into the wilderness to hear John the baptizer preaching and telling about the one that was coming after him. And Nicodemus, for all of his learnedness and for all of his authority, he has an open, open curiosity about Jesus and he wants to know more. And I love this about this person, Nicodemus. I read a, an article this week by a distinguished Florida educator who, in speaking to a group of ministers, warned us that we ought to be preaching Jesus more forcefully. We ought to be speaking about the Holy Spirit more powerfully. And he used this interesting terminology in respect to the Jesus movement. He said, I don't know how it is in your college, but he said in the college where I serve, the young people have made an in run around the church and got back to the New Testament. And they're talking about Jesus. Now that shouldn't be. Or if it is, I hope they run back in the church with it and give it to us. We need it. Well, here this man Nicodemus comes. 
under the cloak of darkness because people would be talking about it if they saw him associating with Jesus. Funny, things happen strange at night, don't they? In the middle of the night, two or three in the morning, if the doorbell rings, you're afraid immediately. If you're walking in the woods in the daytime, the wind is blowing, it's not so eerie or creepy. But if you're out there by yourself at night, the leaves falling off the trees can have an effect on you. You imagine that you hear people stomping through the leaves. Night brings out strange feelings. I've often thought about this. In the night, people can become angrier, it seems to me. Or they can become sadder, it seems to me. I expect more murders are committed at night than any other time. I expect more hard things are said in the middle of the night than any other time. But somehow, under the cloak of darkness, Nicodemus, this learned fellow who is a ruler, a member of the Sanhedrin, comes to Jesus. He is diplomatic, and he is civil, and he is courteous, and he is correct in his approach to Jesus. And there's something that is touching to me about his humility. Sometimes when we read a lot of books, we become so learned that we are no longer humble enough to learn. Here is an old white-haired man whose head is all full of knowledge. And yet in humility, he comes to a man younger than I am. A man barely 30 years of age. And the old theologian Nicodemus comes to this young man that other people are beginning to suspect because of his sensational manners. And Nicodemus comes to him and he speaks very reverently. He says, teacher, Rabboni is, is literally the way it comes out. And Rabboni is a very, it's a very beautiful way, my dear teacher. And I've always been touched by the way in which he says that, my dear teacher. Here is an old man saying to Jesus, my dear teacher. My dear teacher, we know that you have come from God. No man could do these miracles that you are doing unless God is with him. And then Jesus speaks those strange words to Nicodemus. Jesus says, Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is no fool, and he does not interpret these words in a mechanical sense. But his imagination has been staggered by what Jesus has just said. Nicodemus knows that a Gentile, a non-Jew, would have to be born again to come to the truth. But here he is a Jew, a member of the establishment, a member of the church, a theologian. A leader. And yet Jesus says to him, you. And it's interesting, he uses the plural in one place. You all. All of the Sanhedrin. All of your people. You all must be born again or born anew or born from above. Nicodemus is staggered by this and he stalls, I think, for time and he says... How can a man enter into his mother's womb and be born the second time? 
I am an old man. I'm set in my ways. You don't understand. I've been in the church for 50 years. This is the way it's always been done. What are you trying to do? Your new teaching is a threat. Jesus says to him, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Do you believe he is who John says he is? The Word made flesh and dwelt among us, that he is God in flesh. Then do you believe that what he says here is true? That you must be born again? And if you do, have you ever considered whether or not you have been born again? And if you have not considered it, why not? Why not? Is it because you're a member of the church? Nicodemus was. Is it because you've always thought you were there and yet there was an emptiness deep down in your soul? Nicodemus suspected this. I've often wondered how John got his information. It could have only come from two sources. Either Jesus told John about it or Nicodemus told John about it. And I rather suspect it was Nicodemus. Because, you know, when you tell people how you came to know the Lord, if we should open up the service today, and I should say to everyone here, and it's a good thing to do this, tell me, how did you come into the conscious lordship of Jesus Christ over your life? All of us could begin to relate different stories of how our feelings for God, which had been marginal and vague, suddenly became, or suddenly or slowly, whichever way it was, but at least one day, consciously, and in a determined manner we knew and could say heartily, Jesus is Lord over my life. We would tell about it. Well, I think maybe John got his information from Nicodemus himself. Nicodemus said, I could never, never forget that night. That night when I went out there to meet him, I was really nervous and afraid about what everybody else might think if they saw me with him and I came to him. And I told him that I recognized in him something beyond this world. And yet he right away hit me with that thing, you must be born again, the necessity of the new birth. I clipped out of Time magazine a couple of weeks ago. I don't know how many of you know anything about baseball, but Leon A. Goslin, G-O-S-L-I-N, 70 years old, just died. He was a, in baseball's Hall of Fame for his tremendous abilities as a baseball player. They called him Goose Goslin because of the awkward way in which he would run after a ball. He was an outfielder, and they called him Goose. Well, Goose Goslin did one of the most amazing things. In 1924 in the World Series, in the last half of the ninth inning, the end of the ball game, no one was on base, the score was tied, and Goose Goslin knocked the ball all the way in the stands. And he started to go around the bases, and the crowd all got up to leave. It was the end of the ball game. When they started out, 
the sportscaster, the announcer in the stadium said, ladies and gentlemen, do not leave your seats, do not leave the stands. Goose Goslin did not touch first base. And the game went on and the opposing team won. Now, that's probably the first time in history that anyone ever did that. I know it is in the World Series. But it seems like to me that this very important thing, this business of the new birth and conversion and the conscious lordship of Christ, be pitiful to go all the way through life and never touch the one most important thing, which is to know the lordship of Christ over life. Jesus speaks of the necessity of the new birth. And he tells how here. And he tells Nicodemus, a man must be born of water and of the Spirit. I think he meant by water here that Nicodemus had seen John the Baptist baptizing. And he knew that in each one of us there must be a willingness to repent of our sins. I do not believe in that the mechanics of baptism are essential to salvation. But I believe that repentance of the heart must be there. And I think that Jesus taught Nicodemus that when he said a man must be born of water and of the Spirit. And when he speaks of the Spirit, and let me say this about the word Spirit, it's ruach in Hebrew. The word Spirit and the word breath and the word wind are all the same. I am breathing now. I can't touch my breath. I can't touch it at all. It's here, but I can't touch it. Breath is there. And there is that essential thing to life that must come from the Holy Spirit. He breathes upon us. We have his breath of life about us if we have a living faith. Wind. You remember at Pentecost the wind blowing? You remember that Jesus says again and again to Nicodemus here, Listen to the wind, Nicodemus. Listen to the wind. You can hear the wind sometimes outside here when it comes sweeping through this valley. You can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. I cannot see the Spirit of God enter a man, but I can see the effects when he does enter a man. I can see him change. I can see his life transformed. I can see his whole value system change. You can see it too. When you want to draw the wind, when an artist wants to draw the wind, he can't draw it, can he? Hear it outside? He can't draw it. But he shows you the effects of the wind. He shows you a sail billowing out. He shows you waves being tossed. He shows you the bending of trees or of grass or of flowers. He shows you the effects. And so it is with the Spirit of God. When the strong driving wind of the Spirit of God comes to us, we see the effects of the wind of God in our life. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, listen to the wind. And the, another interesting thing is, he says, you know, Nicodemus, the establishment can't control the wind. You can't control it. The wind goeth where it listeth, it says here in the King James, and that word list is and I'm ashamed to say this, but it's very close to the word lust in Anglo-Saxon. It goes where its desire is. 
The Spirit of God goes where he chooses to go. And if the Spirit of God wants to anoint a person like Arthur, bless it, who with his long hair and his beard and his cross over his shoulder, lugging it from one end of the country to the other, and thousands of young people turn to Jesus in saving faith, and the great theologian up in the seminary is not getting them, then that's just the Spirit of God's way of doing it. We can't bottle up the Spirit of God. He'll work when, where, and how he pleases to work. He is sovereign. He will work in his own way. He will work in his own way. Listen to the wind, Nicodemus. Listen to the wind. You're a master of Israel, and yet you do not know these things, says Jesus. Then Jesus tells us how. He tells us how. And it comes through the necessity of his death. He says that he must be lifted up on a cross to die, and that somehow through his death, there will be life for me. Through his death, I can have a new birth. Through his death, for my sins, and my identification with that death, I can have a new birth. You remember what Paul says? I am crucified with Christ, and nevertheless I live, and yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And that's not just for Paul in the first century. That's for us right now today. It has to do with us too, to die to self. Jesus said whoever keeps his life is going to lose it. Whoever will lose his life for my sake said Jesus is going to find it. Except a grain of corn fall in the ground and die, it cannot bear fruit. And this is what he said. The Spirit of God works in us, causing us to die more and more to self and to live more and more to him. And he uses that strange analogy from the book of Numbers. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, I do not know how familiar you are with the book of Numbers. But if you read, there came a time when the, when the people of God were the victims of burning fiery serpents that were biting them and killing them. And Moses was commanded by God to make a, a brass serpent and to fix it on a banner staff. And a banner staff, by the way, looks a good bit like a cross. And to lift it up. And everyone who looked to that fiery serpent that was made out of bronze on a, on a banner staff, everyone who looked to that was healed. Now, I suppose the children of Israel could have gotten together and Moses could have said, let us all form the Society for the Extermination of Fiery Serpents. Let's get together and get rid of the fiery serpents. We're going to have a, a society for it. And some old guy could have been dying and they could have walked in on his deathbed when he had been stung by, the, by this fiery serpent and they could have said, now this is our, our organization here. We are resolve that we are going to exterminate all fiery serpents and prop him up. You sign right here. And with his glazed eyes, he signs and dies. Well, that's the way we try to eradicate sin sometimes. We're going to form a society to get rid of sin. We're going to run in with a card like the little girl in the Crest toothpaste ad and say, look, Mom, no sin. You're going to get rid of it with a society. 
Well, we get rid of sin in one way, and that's at the cross of Jesus Christ, and that's what he said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for many for the remission of sins. And so he tells us here, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him. That means there must be a conscious response on my part to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. A conscious response. I am not a Christian without knowing it. If thou wilt believe in thine heart and confess with thy mouth, this is what the salvation passage in Romans 10 and 9 says. Regardless of how you may want to adjust it, that's what scripture says. So it demands of me a response. And when I respond to that, the Spirit of God has brought me to that place and he is working his own work of grace in my life. Last week I told you about Maria, that beautiful, lovely person from the sound of music. You remember the energetic postulate who had gone into the nunnery and who comes out of the nunnery at her mother superior's request and goes to Baron Von Trapp's family to be the mother of six little children who have died or to be the governess. And um, she becomes uh, the baroness, is married. And she is a recent convert to personal Christianity. She is still a devout and earnest Roman Catholic, but she is an earnest Christian. And she says to her that it is the greatest mystery and by the way, you can read this story in the March 1972 issue of Christian Life magazine. It's a whole feature. They have a picture on the cover, and it's well worth getting and reading. She said, I consciously asked Jesus Christ to be Lord of my life, and when I did it, it all felt so awkward. But she said, I knew that it was necessary, and when I did, a change came into my life. And I wonder if we have this personal faith, this faith of the new birth and a new attitude toward life that Jesus speaks of here. I wonder if the Holy Spirit has led us to that place or if we have responded to him or whether we have kept him away and quenched his power from having its effect in our lives. How? Simply by opening the door and letting Jesus come in. How do I open the door? I give as much of myself as I know to as much of him as I understand. And I go forward from that part. A while ago, Charles read to you that strange passage from Ezekiel about a valley cluttered with dry bones. Nicodemus was an old dry bone. And the Spirit of God breathed upon him. And he became alive spiritually. There is a prophecy in that book of Ezekiel that says these words. A new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. 
and I will give you a heart of flesh and put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them from the heart. Let us stand in prayer. <clears throat> o God, our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We thank Thee for faith in Jesus Christ. We thank Thee for Thy great love for all of man. We bless Thee, our Father, for man and his great accomplishments. But we know that his greatest need is for a heart transplant, not from a physical heart, but a heart to know and to love thee. So we make the song our real prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to breathe, O oh breathe, O oh living spirit, into every troubled breast to lead us, O oh blessed God, into that conscious relationship of the Lordship of Jesus Christ that will enable us to show his love to everyone and to want to pass it on. And Father, if there is a person here who has not yet had that saving experience, cause that person today to seriously draw aside and to go to Jesus and to ask of him to come in to their heart. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our teacher and our guide, be and abide with you all, both now and forevermore.